Hello and welcome to the podcast where we discuss history. And it's tea. My name is Elizabeth. And I'm Paige. And this is Ye Old Tea Time. discussing the Mary Rose, which was a favored ship in the Royal Navy of King Henry VIII. Yes, we're back to him. Imagine that. Now, Henry himself was an enthusiastic shipbuilder. His pride was his army by the sea, or army by sea, which was a fleet that when he first started it, when he was around the age of 19, when he took the throne, from five ships all the way to 58 by the time of his death in 1547. Now, that was quite a few many ships, but the Mary Rose itself was his favorite, or said to be his favorite. And what's really interesting about the Mary Rose is two things. One, it was, this ship lasted almost as long as Henry himself did. Like, it lasted throughout almost his entire reign. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Like, it literally sank two years before his death. Oh. I believe he was 19 when he had it commissioned, but he was king. And the other thing, which I will get to later, is just something very funny about the Mary Rose. Now, from the beginning, this ship was, was built in 1510. It, along with its sister... The, the Peter Pomegranate. Now, the Mary Rose was... The earliest reference for the Mary Rose was on the 29th of January in 1510 when there was a letter ordering the construction of it and one other, the Peter Pomegranate. Now, just to make things a little bit easier on me, I'm just going to start referring to that one as the Pomegranate. Now, they were built in Portsmouth, England, and that will have a very interesting significance later on. Now... The first account of the names, which I won't go into much detail, were from June 1511. What I'm interested about the second half of each name, the rose and the pomegranate, which at the time were the symbols of the king and queen, rose for the house of Tudor, and pomegranate was actually the symbol of Catherine of Aragon, which I found really cute. Now, if you want to see pictures of it, drawn and actual, because you can actually go visit the Mary Rose. They did find it. And it is currently in Portsmouth. I told you I'd be getting back to that. It's currently in Portsmouth in a museum, but that can be visited once all the craziness of the world has calmed down. <laughs> yeah. Now, between the two of them, the Mary Rose was the larger of the two. She was 600 tons versus the pomegranate's 450. Jesus. That was not, oh, there's more. This wasn't the only difference between the two. While both were carracks designed for war, the Peter Pomegranate was not built to carry heavy heavy guns, whereas the Rose, on the other hand, carried six to eight large guns from the beginning when she was created. And this actually created was required of a new design feature known as gun ports. And she was a state-of-the-art design for the time, meaning one of the few ships that actually had these gun ports. Because before, basically, large guns could not be held on these ships. There was no room for them. Yeah. And that's part of the reason 
because Henry himself insisted on this design for one of his ships, and a lot of people believe that's the main reason why he's so partial to the Mary Rose. Now, six months after the Mary Rose was launched, Henry VIII, at the age of 19, went to war with France. And this was against the, and then it was, he declared war in 1512 against his father's advisors. Its very first battle was the Battle of St. Matthew. And while the Mary Rose was not the largest of Henry's ships, that honor went to the region, which was a thousand tons. The Admiral of the Fleet, Edward Howard, picked the Mary Rose as his flagship. Now, Howard led successful raids along the coast of Brittany, capturing 40 French ships and sacking French towns. And then he returned to Portsmouth for a little while, was visited by the king. Then, on August 6, 1512, he received word that the French Navy had mobilized, so he left to return to Brittany. Now, the French were not expecting the English to arrive for several more days, so they were having the Feast of St. Lawrence when the, when the English fleet arrived. Oh, gosh. Yeah, they, um... Let's put it this way. People were partying, and all of a sudden they look over and just an entire fleet heading their way. And majority, a large majority of the French ships fled. They were chief guarded by the French flagships, the Grand Louise and the Cordelaire. And again, French is not my key language, so if, so, so if I mispronounce some of this, I'm so sorry. It happens. I do it too. And the Mary Rose drew first blood in that battle by shooting out the main mass of the Grand Louise, killing 300 men and taking the ship out of commission. Uh, it was a short engagement and literally the first instance of ships fitted with gun ports engaging each other at range without an attempt of boarding, a watershed moment, and it was a watershed moment in naval history. Like normally it used to be the only, the fighting would be the two ships getting beside each other and just swinging over or making gangplanks to get on from one ship to the other. But now with the gun ports, 300 men dead in, an, dead in one shot, basically. So whenever you say gun ports, are you talking about like cannons? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm just making sure because I was like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, gun port is what the official name is, but you can also call it a cannon port, I suppose. Okay. Let's see. Now, while she was engaged with the uh, Grand Louise, the hundred-ton, uh, probably a thousand-ton English regent grappled with the Cordelier, and as many of the French ships, it was hosting families of the English when the English fleet arrived, mm-hmm. and her captain made the hard decision to fight with civilians on board. Oh wow! And now, keep in mind, these two ships were basically providing cover while the other ships that carried civilians were getting away. So I understand, so the captain, I kind of get why he did that, but unfortunately, as the ships grappled with one another, there was a sudden explosion aboard the Cordelier, and the family, and the flames spread to the Regent, and both ships went down. And, um, between the two ships, 1,500 people died, including women and children. And in April 1513, the English fleet, including the Mary Rose, returned to harass the French coast at Brest. And 
the French retreated, taking fists in position against the English, and Edward Howard was itching for a fight, basically. He entered several skirmishes, and on the 22nd of April, 1513, they had, the French attacked the English fleet, sinking one ship and badly damaging the other. Howard retaliated, leading a force to board the galley of the veteran French commander Bidot, De Bidot. Howard was last seen shouting, come aboard again, come aboard again, to his men before he was cut down. Oh, wow. And after the death of the Admiral, the fleet was demoralized, and they fled back, back to Plymouth. Lord Thomas Howard, the older brother of Sir Edward, was appointed Admiral of the fleet and also chose the Mary Rose as his flagship. Oh, and here's something interesting. I did not know this. Incidentally, Lord Thomas Howard, who was not only the older brother of Sir Edward Howard, was also the uncle of Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard. Both of became Henry's eight, Henry VIII's second and fifth and fifth wives, respectively. Wow. Mm-hmm. I bet he hated Henry later on. Probably. Honestly, when it came to his wives, if they weren't simpering to try to throw their daughters at him, they were despising him for what he was doing. Yeah. Now, I'm going to skip a, skip a few years, because we're focusing more on the Mary Rose and some of her battles. Yeah. Um, she was the favorite of the fleet. And now this is going to be from 1520 to 1530. In 1522, after the Field of Cloth... Of gold. After two years after the field of the cloth of gold, England and France were at war once again. And Henry sided with Charles V of Spain, who was the nephew of Queen Catherine of Aragon. In May 1522, Charles arrived in England. And they both boarded each other's ships and inspected them. Where basically they were showing off their favorite ships to each other. Yeah. Boys and their toys. <laughs> Shortly afterwards, the fleet set off from Southampton. Lord Thomas Howard, now the Earl of Surrey, decided to use the Mary Rose as his flagship. Like this, she, from the beginning, she's been a flagship, which is like a major deal among ships. Uh, this is the ship that goes first in the battle. This is the one where the royal, where not the royal, but the head honchos sit at. So she, like she had honors from the beginning. Wow. And she had superior sailing abilities compared to the Great Harry, which was another of his ships. And Surrey successfully attacked the Breton port of Morlaix on, first, on the 1st of July, 1522. But the supplies that he requested in order to take breaths never arrived. He had no choice but to return to Portsmouth. And he was redeployed and given command of a land force at Calais at this point. The Vice Admiral, Sir William Fitzwilliam, also chose the Mary Rose to be his flagship. So she's been the flagship for three ad for three admirals at this point. Yeah. Well, actually, two admirals and a Vice Admiral. And the Second War of France was mostly just a collection of skirmishes, and very little actually happened until 1525 with the Battle of Pavia, and that ended the war. And the English actually had nothing to do with it. It's actually King Francis was captured by the Spanish forces. So they had no real choice but to, to accept defeat. Yeah. Mary Rose was largely inactive for the first five years of the 1530s. But from 1536 to March 1537, 
She could be seen on the Thames without her mask as tensions mounted to Europe as a because uh, this is around the time that Henry decided that he was in love with Anne Boleyn. Yeah. Who, who you can learn about from our very first podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Already covered her. Mm-hmm. And, result, and because of that, he was breaking from the Church of Rome. Yeah. He then began reinforcing his warships, and the Mary Rose underwent a refit. Now, extra gun ports were added, and the sides of the ship were strengthened in order to accommodate the extra weight. So... She now has been caught, has been made wider yeah. to fit extra guns. And unfortunately, these new alterations also made her heavier, so her sailing ability, which she was one of the fastest ships, also went down. To be granted, I'm pretty sure the Peter Cromagranate was probably faster because it was a much lighter ship. Yeah. But she was still quite a fast. And... Now basically, the Mary Rose may have cost her impressive sa- her her impressive sailing. In April 1537, Vice Admiral John Dudley reportedly that some of the ships were unweatherly, and that the ship that Mister Carew is in was particularly bad. While not, it's not clear which ship Mister Carew was on, who they believe was well, who everyone believes is George Carew, who was the captain of the Mary Rose. It's not impossible with that the problematically that, that that this problematic ship was the Mary Rose. So her so this revamping of her actually probably took off the edge that the Mary Rose had compared to other ships. Now, in 1539, Henry mobilized the fleet once more in fear of a joint invasion from France and Spain. Now, Spain for obvious reasons were siding with Catherine of Aragon who was a daughter of Spain, basically. Yeah. And Henry had been excommunicated by the Chope. By the, oh my god. <laughs> by the Chope. Oh my god. I am so sorry. <laughs> it's a day. It's raining outside. It's gloomy. My dog is throwing a fit in her cage. I need alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Okay, it's fine. Now, Henry had been excommunicated by the Pope for declaring himself head of the Church of England, and he feared that the Catholic powers of Europe would attack, which was an honest fear. Yeah. In the summer of 1539, the Mary Rose was anchored at Deptford, ready to defend the Thames. Now, we are on to the last years of the lovely Mary Rose, 1540 to 1545. Now... Luckily, his fears of a combined Franco-Spanish war actually did not come to, fr- to fruition because Francis, the fir- because Francis and Charles fell apart, their treaty fell apart in 1539. However, Henry was also prepared. So he had the campaigning months of 1539 to 1544. His fleet was ready for anything. Yeah. Now, in June 1542, Henry entered an alliance with Charles of Spain against Francis, thus beginning his last war with France. Now, keep in mind, Henry died in 1547. The reasons for Henry entering this war are pretty unclear. It is noting that at the time, his fifth wife, Catherine Howard, who was mentioned earlier, had been found guilty of adultery and was executed just four months previously. Jesus. <sighs> we figure out her age. Perhaps Henry was desperate to prove his power and masculinity in the face of this humiliation. Yeah. Because... Did she do it? It's never entirely proven. Yeah. 
I think there was more stacked against her, against her for adultery than there was Anne. But I won't go into it too much, but let's just say Catherine was way younger than Henry. How old was she? When she died, I think around 19. Oh my gosh. She was about 16 when he married her. Aww. So... It's a lot, like, there's a lot of evidence stacked against her that she actually might have. Whether or not she did it while she was married to him, there's, that's where it gets fuzzy. Yeah. But that, but I may end up talking, but we may end up discussing her later on, so I won't go into too much detail. Okay. So, basically, he's trying to prove that he is a manly man <laughs> and that this adultery was not his fault. So this is he's been humiliated. He's trying to give safe face. Yeah. And it's unknown whether or not the Mary Rose is part of the fleet that Henry took himself to Calais in 1544, although it is likely since most of the fleet was involved. And in September 1544, Henry captured the French town of Bouillon. However, his alliance with Charles of Spain fell and England was left isolated against France. And unfortunately, the French retaliation for Boulogne was proven fatal for the Mary Rose. The Battle of Salent was her final battle. Claude d'Anbolt, the French admiral, gathered over 200 ships in the estuary of the River Seine. This fleet was significantly larger than the Spanish Armada nearly 50 years later, which told 130 ships, against the number of the English had 80 ships. So it's an 80-ship fleet of England versus a 201 of France. Jeez. Yeah. And John Dudley, Viscount Lyle, and the Lord Admiral of the fleet did not intend to sit and wait for the French attack. He sent fire ships in amongst the anchored French fleet at Le Havre to burn the French ships. The French flagship, the 100-gun Philippe, burned. Ominously for the French, the next ship chosen to hoist the Admiral's flag then ran aground and had to be abandoned. So that's two flagships down on the French side. Yeah. And on July 12, 1545, the French set sail, reaching the Sussex coast on the 18th. After an insignificant raid in Sussex, the French fleet entered the Solent in the on the 19th of July. The night before, Henry VIII dined aboard the flagship, the Great Harry, with Viscount Lyle, Sir George Carrow, where Carrow was appointed Vice Admiral of the fleet and given command of the Mary Rose. Now, when the French fleet fleet of la 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 la, <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> when the French fleet arrived, try saying that five times fast. I dare you. <laughs> Henry watched from the South Sea castle. The lack of wind gave the French the advantage, and oared French galleys able to advance while the large sailing ships were immobile. Now, around the afternoon, the wind rose, and Lyle led the large ships, including the Mary Rose, against them. Okay. Now she fired from her starboard side and came around to fire from the port side. As she turned, she listed to one side, her starboard side, low in the water. Now starboard is right. Okay. The Spanish ambassador, Francois Vanderdelf, a night witness to the battle, rode through the ship, heeled over in the wind. Basically, so basically she just tipped. Okay. Completely and utterly, boom. The starboard gun ports were crucially left open, and while the final nudge from the wind, they fatally dipped in the waterline. So basically, she became so heavy on that side that she just went down. Oh, Jesus. 
The water flooded and the ship went down in a matter of minutes. Of nearly 500 men on board, no more than 35 survived. And despite the tragedy of losing the Mary Rose, she was the only loss of the battle. And it's just how it happened. Like, she wasn't gunned down. She literally turned too sharply. <laughs> like, I don't mean to laugh because it was a tragedy. Yeah. Granted, a 400-year-old tragedy. Yeah. Almost. So, I can kind of give it. So, it's a little not too soon. But it's just like, basically, that's... Like, she fired on the starboard, and then she tried to turn... Like, she fired on the right, then tried to turn left, and all the weight from the right caused her to tip. And then an action, and then the nudge from the wind was the final breaking point, and she just went over. Dang. So. Yeah, that's why I'm afraid to be on boats. I mean, keep in mind, back, back then, life jackets weren't a thing. Oh, yeah. And... Oh, gosh, and sharks... Well, to be fair, they were right off the coast, so they probably... The survivors were saved, but the fact that out of 500, only 35 made it out. That's crazy. Yeah, and and let me... And on the 23rd of July, 1545, the French made the decision to retreat. Retreat. <laughs> retreat. Hey, wait, you, wait, wait. <laughs> Shit. My mouth is dry. Um, she retreated. They retreated. <laughs> I'm good. Now, after the battle, it was believed that it would be relatively easy to raise the Mary Rose. They were wrong. Divers were sent down to attach cables to the masts of the sunken ship, and the cables were then attached to two ships that would sail away from one another, and then resulting tension would then, theoretically, bring the Mary Rose to the surface. Yeah. This would be like a really weird reference but if you know in the first scene of jaws when the girl is getting getting dragged back and forth how they did that was basically hooking her to a harness and on each side to two speedboats and have them slowly pulling her back and forth in a way that's kind of what they did here that's kind of scary and also i've never seen jaws we're gonna change that that's my like my favorite movie (laughs) it's cody's too and i'm like never (laughs) it's so good though it was so cleverly done, but I'm not going to get into that because we're going to cut that out anyway. But, um, so basically how it is, you have one ship here, one ship here, hooked to the Mary Rose in the middle, and then they both go this way, and theoretically she would rise. Yeah. Now, on Saturday, August 1st, Charles Brandon, Duke of Suff- Suffolk, wrote that, I trust by Monday or Tuesday, at the furthest, that the Mary Rose shall be weighted up and saved. The confidence was unfounded. The mast broke during the raising attempt, and all further attempts to raise her in the following weeks failed. Oh, wow. But, not all is completely lost. Now, in 1836, pioneering divers John and Charles Dean were exploring wrecks in the Solent, notably the 1782 warship, the Royal George. And while they were exploring, some fishermen requested their assistance. Their nets had kept getting caught in a particular area, and they asked the divers to explore. And that is, and it turns out the nets were being caught on the Mary Rose. Now, the Mary Rose had not been, because of the failed raising attempts around that time, she was basically lost at sea. This is the first time anyone had discovered her in 300 years. Oh, wow. Now, the Dean brothers recovered several large guns from the ship, attracting a large amount of attention. 
After a while, however, excitement over the discovery kind of faded because they couldn't get more up. I mean, if they had pulled up the entire ship, it would have been amazing and would have gotten all the attention. Yeah. But only a few items could be brought up. It was the practice at the time to detonate shipwrecks, lest they cause problems for modern ships. And luckily, the Mary Rose barely protruded above the seabed, so she was saved from this fate. However, it was largely believed that she had, in fact, been destroyed, and as interest in the wreck died, the Mary Rose was lost once more. Now, after 437 years, the Mary Rose was finally returned to the surface in a maritime salvage operation. So, and so, and you can go and visit that in Portsmouth, England today and see the Mary Rose as she is now, which... You can find a lot of this information at maryrose.org, which is a focus on her and, and is run by the museum that is holding her. Oh, wow. But it also shows how she was designed. And she, it's really fascinating when you look up the pictures of her. But seeing the multiple tears in inside of her, it was actually quite beautiful. Uh, but I mentioned something funny about the Mary Rose. And I'll go ahead and do this now. It's interesting. Now, we've... Established, the Mary Rose was made in was created in 1510 mm -hmm. and sunk in 1545. Yes. Well, apparently there was a rumor that the Mary Rose had sank during her maiden voyage, you know, 35 years later. Which wasn't true because she had been in at least three battles. Yeah. Notable ones, anyway. So I just find that very funny. That it's like, oh, she sank on her maiden voyage. Like, no, she, she was afloat for 35 years. No. <laughs> and that has been the history of the flagship of Henry VIII, the Mary Rose. All right, thank you for having another sip of history with us. This has been Ye Old Tea Time. I'm Paige. And I'm Elizabeth. Have a good day. Bye.